So, <clears throat> uh, having learned my lesson two weeks ago when we met, I'm going to use a different approach this morning. Um, it, it'll be fine. We're going to be fine, right? First John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, We worked through those four verses three weeks ago. And then the week after that we made our way from five through seven. And what I'm going to do this morning is largely... Review, and I want to try to knit some of these concepts together in such a way that uh, it is impressed upon all of us more fully what it is that John is, what it is that your Bible, I should say, is communicating. Um, that you, you could listen to 365 messages on 1 John chapter 1, and they would all be different. Um, and I recognize, I'll be the first to admit, that I have a, um, a perspective that I'm trying to communicate. I have a goal in mind, um, but I will not admit, nor will I agree with anybody that thinks that I'm twisting the scriptures or reading into them. I'm not. I'm simply choosing to emphasize one aspect of this. Uh, you, you, I've preached through John. I've taught through John before, and this was not what I chose to emphasize. So if you don't hear things this morning that you're hoping to hear, it's not that I don't believe that or I disagree with you or I don't think it's important, okay? All right, so here's what we're going to do. I got a little bit of feedback after last time uh, where folks said it was helpful to them to see these things kind of outlined as we went. So I'm going to outline as we go. We're going to start by connecting some of these ideas in this text. We're going to start with that which was... We have heard. You see that? Oh, look at that. Beautiful. Um, There's that which was. We have heard. And then what else have we done? Seen. We have looked upon. Touched. Good. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, this is the apostolic witness, which is probably a phrase or a term that you've heard before, but what we're basically talking about is this, right? So what they saw, what they heard, what they looked upon and touched They communicated to us. That's the next part. Verse 2, the life was made manifest. And there it is again. I'm going to change this up a little bit. 
I think you'll be helped by this. We have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, if you look at the beginning of three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So, second would be apostolic testimony, which we're reading right now in 1 John. Finally, what's the reason for the apostolic witness, the apostolic testimony? What's, what is supposed to happen as a result of these two things? First, and this is where we have to be careful, right? Because if we, we'll see as we move along this morning. If we get the priority wrong, we'll get the outcome wrong. First, this is the gospel, right? So what needs to happen with the gospel for you individually? You must embrace it by faith and believe it, which is a work of the Holy Spirit in you to bring you to life and cause you to embrace Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel by faith. Okay, so the gospel is believed. Then you have fellowship. Or we could say shared life. So what do we need to underline? Well, we need to underline that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, this is important, our fellowship is with whom first? With God. So this, the horizontal fellowship, must come after the vertical relationship has been established. If we are not united in fellowship with God, we cannot be united in shared life with one another. So, uh, John emphasizes the point, we are writing these things so that our joy may be made or may be complete because he understands, I'm telling you the truth about Jesus so that you'll come into life and then we will have that life together and that will make my joy complete. As a preacher, teacher, uh, of the word of God. My desire is that more people come to life in Christ. That fills up in me joy because I feel like the word of God's going out. If To whatever degree I work diligently to prepare, I'm doing it with this idea in mind. You will hear what's being said and it will have an impact on your heart and mind and then your life will be changed. That makes me joyful. That that happens, you know. I have some history now with a lot of you, uh, and I know that those things have happened. So here's what we're going to do. I want to lay out for you a. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say pyramid, but we're going to say pyramid um, of the order in which these things are supposed to happen. Okay. So first, uh, let's say foundation. Thank God that Apple fixes those shapes, right? Uh, 
What's the foundation? Uh, we already said it once. I'm going to go up here and give you a hint. You have the apostolic witness and the apostolic testimony, and those two things amount to gospel. All right, so if we make faith in Christ the foundation, just to make it easy, that's a parenthesis, not a C. Um, you can say faith in Christ, belief in the gospel. You could, there's probably three or four different terms you could use there. That has to be the foundation, or you end up with uh, something really messy. Second, and I'm making it purple on purpose, so that as you look up here, you might be able to guess what's second. Yeah. So we'll draw another box here. This should be interesting. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. All right. And then what happens next? You don't know. We haven't gotten to that yet. Just pre-draw the box. This would be... Uh, let's, let's do this. This might help, actually. If it seems like I'm just making this up as I go, I promise I'm not. So we already said this is foundation. I'm going to tell you this is purpose. And then this is outcome. Foundation, purpose, outcome. So what is the outcome of believing the gospel, having shared life with God, with one another? Um, the outcome is growth. We grow. Now that means in the same order that we have fellowship with God first and then with one another. We grow in depth of relationship with the Father, which means our faith is matured, our hearts are changed, the way that we think is changed. And uh, I don't know a better way to illustrate this than to say uh, when... Yeah, I'm not going to... I want to... I want to be as entertaining as possible, but sometimes that comes at other people's expense, so let me walk that back. When you were very young, you used to poop in your pants, and it was fine, right? It's just like, what else were you going to do? It was in your nature to do that. But then you were taught as you matured, let's not do that, let's do it over here instead. Now, if at this point right now in your life, you were to poop in your pants, we would assume there's something wrong with you because you've learned not to do that. There's a, you don't do that in that way. You do that in a different way now. As you mature, as you grow in relationship with your heavenly father, there are things about you that you used to do that you grow out of. Does that make sense? And I'm sure you all would have had a much more mature illustration than that. <laughs> but I don't. I am who I am. So the outcome of faith in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the personal work of Jesus Christ ultimately is we grow. So we grow in relationship with him, with one another. And then potentially, if you remember Acts 2, 42 through 47, 
potentially we grow numerically. Possible the church gets bigger as people are added to our number as we're doing these things that, that are involved here. Okay, so with everything that we've already covered in mind, let's think about why the gospel exists. I'm going to stop drawing and writing for just a minute. Think in, in your own head, what is the reason that the gospel exists? Now, there's a couple ways you could look at reason. You could look at reason as what was the motive in God's heart, and you can look at reason as what is it supposed to accomplish. I want you to think first about what is the motive in God's heart in creating the plan of redemption. I don't need an answer, but think. What moved God to come up with the plan of redemption for sinners. And once you get it in your head, it should be something along the lines of God understood, because He's the one that made us, that what makes for human flourishing is His creatures should be in communion, in fellowship with Him. And we were out, we had broken that by sin. So God's reason for coming up with salvation was bring us back into relationship with Him. Yeah, we good? All right? So it's curious to me then, just as a tangential kind of side note, that one of the things we think when we sin still, because we've got remaining sin, when we blow it, when we screw up, however you want to put it, wander, drift into sin, one of the things that we think is God probably wants nothing to do with me because of what I've just done. Well, the plan of redemption exists to bring you into communion with your heavenly father, with your creator. So it would be odd, I'd think, if God initially were willing to draw you out of darkness into light until you screw up and then he throws you back. The purpose of the gospel is to bring us into fellowship with God. Once you are in fellowship with God, our purpose becomes shared life with him. He brings us into communion. Now I have a new purpose. Before, my whole design, my whole mode of operation was just sin. Just do whatever made my flesh happy at any given time. When he changed my heart, breathed life into me, took out the heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh, made me his son, it made me want to be obedient to him. I was made willing in the day of his power. The outcome is I am in communion with God and routinely, day by day, I have thoughts like I should spend some time praying. I should spend some time in the word. Okay, I'm not the only one. The other thought that I have pretty regularly is I should spend some time with his people. Interacting with it, whether it's a text or a call or a coffee or golf or, you know, whatever it is you, you do. You want to spend time with his people, including this, including coming to church, right? Which means fellowship with God and with one another is pretty important. We would put that high on the priority list. In fact, we put it so high that I just said after you become a Christian, your purpose becomes fellowship. Why does the gospel exist? Because God wants to redeem sinners. He wants to draw them into communion with himself. So that's what the gospel does. That's what Jesus accomplished. Once you're in communion with God, your purpose becomes be in communion with God. And then what flows from that is you are in communion with other people, right? Here's what I see happen. A lot of the time, 
you look at, at a church and the way that things are set up and the way that it seems like they, they prioritize. Here's your foundation. And the foundation is fellowship. Now you hopefully see how easy it is to make that mistake. Because I said, what's our purpose? Why does the gospel exist? Gospel exists to bring sinners into communion with their creator. So God dealt with sin so that we could be in fellowship with him. Once we're in fellowship with him, our purpose becomes fellowship with him, shared life with him, and with one another. So you could see how easy it would be to make the mistake that the foundation of church is fellowship. What happens if you make the foundation of church fellowship? I'll tell you what happens. You grow. You do. Uh, so maybe, you know, like Bible study fellowship. Maybe you're a BSFer. What happens when you learn hermeneutics and homiletics? And do Bible study fellowship. You grow. You learn things about the Bible you didn't know before. You learn things about other people you didn't know before. Maybe you get into a leadership position and start teaching the Bible. You grow. You go to a church where the foundation is fellowship. They have events planned almost every day of the week. They got stuff for the kids to do. They got stuff for the youth to do. They got stuff for old people to do. There, there's everything fellowship-wise that you could possibly want. And when you get around other people and interact with them on a regular basis, you're going to grow. You're going to change. You're going to learn from them, right? Well, if the basis, if the foundation is fellowship and the purpose is now grow, then what is the outcome? What happens as a result of this? Let's put it in here. Uh, okay, good, I got it. I'm, I wonder. I wonder if anybody already knows. What's the outcome when when this? is the foundation. In fact, let's write that so we don't lose track. This is the purpose. What's the outcome? Don't answer, just think about it. Fellowship has to be rooted around something. You gotta have a reason that you're getting together. You gotta have a common thing that you're talking about, right? So we could say, well, then fellowship, if the fellowship is the foundation of church, then, then obviously the fellowship is around biblical things, church things, Christian things. Except in my experience and what I've observed and what I've heard and what I've read is that's not usually the case. It's usually around something else. Our shared identification is not going to be just around the fact that we, we've got church. So then now we need to have a softball 
league. And now we need to have bowling. And now we need to have, um, we need to share our identity in a sports team. So we'll do Super Bowl night. Uh, maybe our shared identity is we all adore whoever is up here speaking. And so then we grow what's called a personality cult. Maybe our shared uh, identity is it's a morality club. We're very moral. We don't do evil, bad things. Maybe it's a debt-free club. So we all go to Dave Ramsey's conferences and learn how to put cash in envelopes. Maybe our, our idea is, is uh, oriented around bigamy. So we move out to Utah. Maybe our identity is rooted around racism, so we go, you know, never mind. Maybe our identity is rooted around purity culture, so what we do is ostracize and and castigate those who are less pure than us. This is what's happening, though, when we make fellowship the foundation is our identity has to be in something and it will generally be in something other than the person and work of Jesus Christ because fellowship is not the foundation what's the foundation is faith in him that has to be at the bottom and everything has to be built upon that so then if we look at verse five uh oh let's see let's see if I remember to set this up you know what just to be safe let me stop mirroring for a second. I have nothing to hide. I don't, don't misunderstand me. just want to make sure I've got it. Okay, I do have it right. Unable to connect. Of course you are. Why would you? All right. All right. There we go. All right. So uh, let's take five through seven. Throw it over here. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What I said when we were working through this passage a couple of weeks ago, I remember we missed church last week. What I said was um, a lot. There is a type of hypocrisy that you... It's not that you should not, it's that you cannot engage in. And the hypocrisy works like this. You are living in willful, open, blatant rebellion and sin. So you're engaged in an activity that clearly contradicts the morality and the goodness of God. And then on Sundays you come to church and pretend like you're not doing that. And what I said was, you can't. I mean, you might be able to do it for a Sunday or two or three, but you're going to get to this place where the disconnect between what you're actually living and then what you're professing when you're in fellowship with believers, when we're together, the disconnect will drive you insane. And so what you see happen most of the time is when people want to live in open, flagrant rebellion, one of the first things that they do is they find something wrong with the fellowship and then they start to separate themselves. And they go, oh, you know, um, 
the preaching's not that great. And we would all go, it never has been. That didn't change. Did you just figure it out? And they'd be like, well, you know, I just, I need something different. I'm not being, I'm not being fed anymore. I don't like the music or I don't like Cecil or so-and-so's mean. So there's a reason that they've got to go. And usually, not always, not always, but usually what's going on there is it's too hard for me to come and do the purpose here, right? Because the foundation is not intact. You can't do it. For long. So this is the message, message we've heard from him proclaimed to you. He's light, which means he's perfect moral purity, and in him is no darkness at all. You can't claim to be in fellowship in the light while you're walking in darkness. It doesn't work. Things will start to disintegrate and fall apart. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. So, all right, it, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you're going to make it work. You're going to live in uh, sin, flagrant defiance of what's morally pure and right. You're gonna, but it, you want to keep coming. You're going to prove me wrong. You're going to keep coming. All right, what then is the foundation uh, of your life choices at this point. If we put, you want to keep coming, right? That's what we're saying. So now we're going we're gonna to go one even further away from the wrong foundation. And we're going to do pretend fellowship. It's not even shared life anymore being the foundation, which was bad enough. Now it's fake shared life. Now we're play acting. Okay, What's going to be uh, the purpose if you are engaged in play acting at fellowship, which shouldn't even be at the root? If you're OCD, I'm sorry for that. I'm not going to fix it, though. All right, I'll fix it. I just realized I actually need to make it a little bit bigger. All right. Remember up here, purpose. Purpose. Yeah. So this is wrong, right? This is correct. This is wrong. This is even more wrong. What you're going to have for purpose You're going to have mutated cancerous growth. Remember, this is purpose. This is foundation. That baby is rocking and rolling. Now, what's going to be the outcome? Disorder, harm, sin, lies. Why? Because you cannot start here, which is a lie, which is fake, 
and end up anywhere else but disorder, chaos, harm, lies. Because what's happening when you start with pretend fellowship, acting like you're something that you're not, with other people who are probably also acting like they're something that they're not, is you get cancerous, mutated growth. So you're going to grow, and you'll either grow better at pretending and hiding your sin, or you will grow to find a group of people that will also sin in the same way and will just agree not to call one another out on it. And from that comes chaos in human relationships. It doesn't work in a marriage and it doesn't work in a church. It doesn't work anywhere. It doesn't work in a sports team. You've got to have the right foundation or what you end up with is so disturbing. So there's an instinctive solution I want to talk to you about. We're going to draw another one of these. Are we excited? Okay. So let me, let me put that. So I'm going to fix the problem, right? Here's the instinctive solution. This is usually, so the church leader, whoever looks around, and he goes, wow, it's chaotic, it's sinful. There's a lot of lying and hypocrisy going on here, right? So let me preach a sermon about how God's, God hates liars and hypocrites so that we can Look at Colossians 2. This should not be hard to remember because we were just there. Colossians chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse... Got too much stuff and not enough space. Verse 20. If with Christ, Colossians 2.20, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. And you do this according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what happens in, in a situation where people start to recognize, oh, this, there's something wrong here at church. Our fellowship is fake. It's pretend. It's resulting in cancerous, mutated growth. And the outcome is disorder, harm, sin, and lies. We decide, well, we, we don't realize we need to make something else the foundation. So let's fix the foundation. So let's purify the fellowship. Good Lord. Um, And the way that we do that is we make certain things off limits. So if you're going to be part of this church, you're not going to do X, Y, or Z. And if it, uh, if you're, if the leader in this church is remotely honest with himself, he would have to admit what's forbidden is always a moving target depending on his preferences from day to day or hers. But if you're going to purify the fellowship, you have to make some things anathema and some things embraceable, which means you're going to set up a moral standard by which people can be acceptable to the fellowship. Then what happens?
from another room. You grow. Rigorous religious activity. So everybody turn to uh, Matthew 15, 8. I'm going to read you Hosea 6, 6 while you're turning there. And this is one of many times in the Minor Prophets that God says something like this to his people. All right, This is not the only time. But listen to Hosea 6.6 6 as you're turning to Matthew 15.8. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the heart of God. I desire steadfast love, not burnt offerings. So if we're going to purify the fellowship and we're going, to, we're going to do this rigorous religious activity thing is now our purpose, we need to know right away that God's desire is steadfast love, not sacrifice. Now, if you're looking at Matthew 15, 8, uh, which I will be in just a second, you see Jesus quoting Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but they're what? Their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What is the outcome of an attempt to purify the fellowship through rigorous religious activity? What happens when you do this? Think with me. Only thing is you hide sin better. That's it. So instead of a church full of people worshiping the true and living God, what you end up with is a cultural club full of folks that have decided what things are unacceptable. This was Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Uh, what things are unacceptable? They've written poison on them. They don't do those things. But there's always something that hasn't been talked about. There's always some proclivity that nobody else has to know about that you can go engage in in the cover of darkness. So this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. He is perfect moral purity. In him is no darkness at all. If you say you have fellowship with perfect moral purity, yet you walk in darkness, you are lying. You're deceiving yourself. Disorder, harm, sin, lies, hide sin better. Right now, what, what are we going to do to keep this church from turning into a bunch of people who are just trying to purify the fellowship? What are we going to do? Because if we're going to do this, make the foundation faith in Christ, make the purpose fellowship first with God, then with one another. And, and we want the outcome, which is growth in grace and knowledge, growth in camaraderie and companionship, growth in numbers, perhaps. If we're going to do this, people are going to come through that door that are going to be engaged in things that don't match up with this foundation right here. They're going to dress a way that offends you. They're going to speak a way you don't like. 
They're going to prioritize things you can't comprehend. Some of them might poop their pants. Yeah, and we're going to be like, what in the world? That's not, we don't do that here. We can't just accept everything. We can't have an impure fellowship, right? Oh, that's why this is so helpful. Don't make the foundation fellowship. Make the foundation faith in Christ. Then the purpose can be fellowship. That will purify itself. Because Jesus says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. Everyone who has this hope within himself purifies himself as he is pure. Now we have grace-driven effort pressing out sin through confession. So this would be the next part. Are you kidding me? Sometimes my life, all right, well, whatever. You can cue it up, but the Lord has other plans from time to time. Let's look at, uh, get back into 1 John 1. We'll just read it together. What a disruption that was. Rick, it's almost, you're almost up, just so you know. I said the fellowship will purify itself through confession. So if we say we have no sin, verse 8, 1 John 1, 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, that does not mean that we need to run around telling everybody everything. Okay? That's not saying that you have no sin starts with yourself. And here's usually what it feels like. You want to know when you're saying you have no sin? When you see somebody else do something and you go, that is disgusting. I could never. That's you saying you have no sin. Because in the eyes of a thrice holy God, your sin is just as disgusting. Now, I'm not saying, so then we need to approve of everything. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. The heart behind rejecting someone because what they do is so disgusting had better be tempered with a history of engaging with them to try to get them to stop. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not what? In us? Okay, well then what if we say we do have sin and we confess it, what does that mean for the truth? And wouldn't it be cool if I could have pasted it on here and continued what I was trying to do? Look at the next verse. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, say it together, forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not just forgiveness. It's the stain gets washed away. And all you have to do is say the same thing. Now, here's, look at the outcome here, the green box. The outcome of trying to purify the fellowship and growing through rigorous religious activity, the outcome is we hide sin better. That's the outcome. 
Confession means to say the same thing. So I'm going to say what God says about sin. That's what it means to confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What, are we, what, 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 what in the world? Oh, my, life, my life is a soap opera. All right, there we go. So here we see foundation, faith in Christ. Begins with what? A profession. Begins with, I heard the word, I understood the word, I believed the word. I say, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, please ransom my life. I have sinned and I need to be forgiven. That's how it starts. So then that's how it continues. Every day, as long as it's called today, I've got sin that I need to confess. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Truth is not in us in verse 8. Word is not in us in verse 10. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to cleanse us and forgive us. What is in us then? Well, if I say I don't have any sin, it's not in me. Verse 8, what? Truth. In verse 10, if I say uh, I don't have any sin, it's not in me. Word. His word, his truth will be in you operative within your heart to whatever degree you are confessing your sin to him and turning away from it with regularity. Wherever you find it, confess it, turn away from it. Say the same thing as God. The alternative is some combination of these two. Fake fellowship, cancerous growth, disorder, harm, sin, and lies. God could not have made these things any easier for us. You want to get right with him? What do you need to do? If you want to get right with him, what do you need to do? Confess your sins. Confess. If you want to get right with him, what do you need to do? Okay, so we're going to come down here and we're going to take and eat. and We're going to take and drink because Jesus told us to, right? While I'm praying, before Rick takes over, perhaps you have some confessing that you need to do. I don't know. But if you do, I would strongly encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity. Let me pray real quick. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we ask that you would uh, solidify in our hearts and minds the truth which you are telling us. We ask that you would change our hearts and make us uh, men and women and children who reject a life of hiding and pretending and cause us instead to be those who embrace a life of faith, of confession, of repentance, and that we might have the order and the enjoyment that comes from obeying you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.
Well, my purpose up here today is just to lead us into the Lord's Supper. Thank you, James, for the word you just gave us. Uh, beyond the fact that Christ commanded us to come together in this fashion, you know, why do believers observe the Lord's Supper? I'm going to tie into what we just heard and first remind us that, that this is a way to commemorate what Christ commanded us to do. The bread and the cup remind us of the one-time sacrifice Christ made on the cross. We partake to remember for that reason. That's the foundation of why we're here to do this. The second reason, I think, is to anticipate. This kind of ties in with the outcome that James talked about. You know, we observe the Lord's Supper in anticipation of Christ's return. Okay? That's what's going to happen. That's going to be the ultimate outcome because we look forward to that time when we're going to celebrate with him, not just at this table here this morning, but with, the great, with him with, at, the, at the end of times at the great banquet table. And finally, and I'll call this our purpose, is to participate. And that's what we're going to do this morning, is participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, it's more than a time of individual reflection, which you were just encouraged to do, but I think it's also a time for us to congregationally act in a way in which we corporately affirm our faith, again, which is what you were just required or just asked to do. We celebrate the completed work of Christ, and we focus on unity by being in that fellowship together. Suzette and I were about a month ago um, out of town, and we were at a wedding in a different um, religion, shall we say. The Lord's Supper or Mass was celebrated, yet we were not allowed to participate. Okay. When Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what we experienced was the exact opposite of what, of what Christ intended to celebrate this. It's intended to bring us all together. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Make sure we have that again. So that let's call that our purpose. And as James encouraged us to each have a personal examination of yourself and to call that, you know, and remember that before we partake. So again, we commemorate, we anticipate, we participate and tie that into what you just heard in the last 30, 40 minutes. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross, Father, for your sacrifice of giving your Son, Holy Spirit, for being here to rally us around and to bring us together in unity at this time. We thank you for that sacrifice, for all that it represents, and I ask that each of us take it seriously, Father, for the, for the way it's intended. We celebrate this time now. We ask that you be here with us and that we do this right. In Jesus' name. Amen. And again, if you're here and you would like to celebrate it with, with James or Matt, Cecil, Lee, or us, please feel free to join us. Let's partake.